0: You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week we're hearing from lead pastor Gare Jones. Well, this morning is Palm Sunday. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a anti-religious kind of church where anything that sounded too churchy, we wouldn't do. So Palm Sunday was kind of a, oh, that's the kind of thing that religious people do. We worship Jesus instead type thing. And, and yet I've discovered over the years the joy of entering into Easter week, beginning with Palm Sunday, beginning with this great story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem in this great act of theatre, But the question we have is what is this about? What is Jesus doing? Why is this so important? So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew's Gospel chapter 21 as we look at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Beginning in verse one, we read this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that that the Lord needs them. And he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you. Gentle. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, I think it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. What on earth is Jesus doing? Donkeys, branches, cloaks. And the whole city is stirred. I don't know about you, but I must be missing something. And we are missing something if we don't realize that this is one of the great and most important pronouncements of Jesus as to who he is. For many years now, the disciples are going to Jesus, Jesus, can we now announce who you are? You're doing all the miracles. You're raising Lazarus from the dead. You're casting out demons. You are God incarnate. Can we just tell people? And he's been holding back. Saying, not yet, not yet. But finally, he decides to announce. Finally, he decides to go, you know what? It's time to announce who I am. But he doesn't do it verbally. He doesn't get a kind of soapbox and get up with a megaphone and declare who he is verbally, he decides to do it in this dramatic act of theatre. He decides to announce through this great and strange theatrical riding of a donkey. Now, why would he do that? Well, two reasons. First of all, you see the prophet in Zechariah, which he probably knew, to say, look, the king, the long-awaited divine king who's going to heal the world is going to come on a donkey. But at the same time, he probably would have also done it knowing that there was another man who would ride into Jerusalem to pronounce his authority, and that wasn't Jesus. That was Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. You see, the time of the festivals, which was now, the Roman consulate, the Roman governor who lived down by the seaside would often come to the feast and he would ride into town on his stallion with a great motorcade of horses. His great entourage would come in and the whole city would see, here comes the Roman emperor. And everyone knew that this was the one in charge. This is the one who was ruling cruelly over Israel. This was where authority really lied. And so Jesus, knowing that he wanted to announce that he had ultimate authority, that he was God in, in human form, that he was the great king, the true king of the world, decided to have his own type of motorcade, to have his own type of show and demonstration that yes, there's a different man coming on the Easter town on his stallion, but I'm gonna come in as the true king in fulfillment of the prophet Zechariah. And so he carefully stages this great entrance. It wasn't that he had some prophetic vision that there was gonna be a donkey and a cult in Bethany and he therefore just said, hey guys. No, he knew Bethany really well. His best friend Lazarus was from there. He'd spent many times in Bethany, the city. So he said to his disciples, look, I know we've been there many times, go get that cult go get that donkey, bring them back, it's time, it's time, and so they went to the town, they probably no doubt said to the town, guess what, you know, Jesus, we we all know Jesus, he's got the power to overthrow Rome because he raised Lazarus from the dead, it's time, it's happening everyone. And so they they brought the donkey to Jesus, they laid out the cloaks, the crowd from Bethany gathered to go, here we go, where the motorcade, where the crowd, come on, let's ride into Jerusalem, let's shout Hosanna because the true king is here. And let's begin the great entrance where Jesus is now going to be that long-awaited king to not only overthrow Rome, not only bring us, like, take our country back, but take the world back. This was the time. I mean, no wonder, therefore, the whole city was stirred. That so this was not just kind of some innocent act. This was a revolutionary act. That a new king had arrived. I mean, it was kind of like imagine when President Biden comes to town. We all know it, right? There's all these helicopters in the sky. There's this motorcade. The 405 is closed down. Uh, isn't it always closed down? But anyway, I mean, the, <laughs> You see his motorcade come down some, maybe Santa Monica Boulevard and maybe he's gonna to go to some kind of conference. Well, imagine if the motorcade's coming down, but then all of a sudden you see a rival motorcade. Different helicopters, different motorcade. And then President Biden shows up, but then a whole new motorcade shows up and a different guy gets out. Same flags, same pomp and ceremony, but different. Imagine the whole city of LA would be stirred like the city of Jerusalem asking the same question. Who is this guy? Who are you? That you would say that you're the real president? Like this is odd. And dude, if if you're not, it's kind of concerning. I mean, it's kind of you may need to go to hospital. And in fact, If you carry on like this, I mean, if you actually get people to rise up, if you get a little militia around you, it will not go well with you. Because there can't be two presidents. There can't be two kings. Jesus knew that the reason he'd been holding back was once he declared who he really was, it was make or break. That he wouldn't be around long unless he was really the king and victorious, that the emperor would have something to say about it. And this, of course, is the great claim of Jesus. This is the great challenge of Jesus, that he doesn't come to Pontius Pilate and to the Roman emperor of the day and say, hey, you know what, I'm just kind of a good, moral-wise guide, I'm kind of a prophet figure. I'm kind of an advisor, to which they would have gone, great, that's really lovely, do you have any advice for me? The challenge was, to Pontius Pilate, is I'm actually the one in charge, you're not, that I have come as the divine king to fix this world, to put it back together again, to drive out evil and injustice. But to do that, I'm not coming as a coach. I'm not coming as a consultant. I'm not coming as an advisor. I'm the king. That I am the one who created this place. I'm the one who created humanity. And I'm the one who created everything to work together when I'm king, not when I'm consultant. This was the great challenge to Pontius Pilate. This is the great challenge which ultimately began Easter week of leading to the cross, the death of Jesus Christ, because Pontius Pilate could only do one thing with such a claim. Either accept it or reject it. And that same challenge is not just for Pontius Pilate, but it's also for you and for me. That Jesus does not come to us as a wise sage, A prophet, a spiritual guide, a spiritual experience. He may include all of these things, but he says, ultimately, I've come as your king. That I've come back to be your king. I've actually come back to invite you to be and return under my rule and reign the way we were created to be back in Genesis chapter one, where this society and this pattern of creation was to be harmonious and joyful and loving and peace, but only because that creation, the created, would live under the rule of the creator. The problem is, of course, like Pontius Pilate, we as Americans have a problem with someone else having authority over our lives. As a Brit, I've got a deep problem with the monarchy. As Americans, you've got apparently a bigger problem with the monarchy. (laughs) But we don't want anyone to tell us what to do. We, particularly in this cultural moment, there's been lots of books written out there that the idea of Jesus as king having authority is actually a very repugnant idea in this cultural moment. We're living in what is called the secular age where the real kings and queens of the world are ourselves. It's called, as Charles uh, Charles Taylor put it in his book, The Secular Age, the autonomous self. Previous cultures may have been bound by monarchs all governments, previous cultures may have been bound by traditions and family systems, but today's culture, we have thrown off all of that and we want to live the life which is true to ourselves and true to ourselves only. It's called the age of authenticity where anything outside of us, anything from society, anything from any religious system, or any authority outside of our own will is diminishing our happiness. And so in this moment, authority can only be in our feelings, only in our desires, because the claim is, the promise is, if you just follow the authoritative self, if you follow your authentic feelings, life will be good. And so our religious phrases of today are things like this, haters going to hate if you don't do what you want to do. It's all good. You do you. Do you nothing is wrong if it feels good. Whatever you do make sure you do it for you, living my truth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is the gospel according to Los Angeles. They don't let anything prevent you from living exactly the way you want to live, where you want to live it, how you want to live it. Because the promise is that way is going to bring the good life. That way is going to heal society. That way is going to bring us into the promised land. The challenge, of course, is we know that promise isn't fulfilled. We know, of course, that over the years, you being you means that eventually you being you and everybody being you will cause great division in the world. You being you begins the question, well, who am I? Do what you feel is right. Well, I have feelings that change every minute of the day. (laughs) Being authentic is, well, being authentic to which self? The problem is, on a macro level, this doesn't work. For all of the advances in science, healthcare, education, the world just trying to be us ourselves, the world is still a mess. And on a micro level, no matter how much I live into my authentic self, we still have this feeling within us that something's not quite right. John Tyson, who's a friend, who's a pastor in New York, wrote this. He said, the secular salvation is a gospel of false promises built around a worldly version of independence and success. This is the good news of self-fulfillment, success, power, wealth, sexuality, and autonomy. Secularism offers to save us from insignificance, loneliness, boredom, and meaninglessness. It offers a false vision of the future, built upon an identity affirmed only by the world, fleeting pleasures that don't last, and resources with the power to eliminate the problems that plague our personal lives. But this gospel cannot deliver true salvation. We know that the autonomous self is still leaving us empty, broken, full of depression, anxiety. Evil still reigns in our city. And the thought, therefore, of Jesus being king. For many, it's like, oh, I know the answer is not B, but, but I'm not ready to give the answer and authority to someone else. But equally, the church equally pushes back against Jesus as king. It's not just culture. We can't just let the church off the hook. You see, we are also American. I mean, we have our own cultural blind spots when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. If anything, over COVID, showed us, it showed us our blind spots around the issues of authority. Like who gets to tell us what to do? And for many in the church, Jesus, even Jesus doesn't tell us, get to tell us what to do. It was amazing in COVID when we we're all having these issues and battles and I would go to the scripture and go, but look, it it clearly says here. Look, look, look. And the blank faces across from me going, and as one person said, but Gare, I'm American. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that was relevant to whether we obey Jesus or not. Same thing could be British, not beating up on any culture. Every culture is the same because we look at authority as vested in ourselves. And we can even bring that to our relationship with Jesus. We can see him as our friend, our savior, our guide, even our God. But we don't want Jesus to be our king. Because ultimately, that means we have to take Jesus at his word when he says, Blessed are those who listen to my commands. That when Jesus has followed me, that's not an invitation to like him on social media, that's an invitation to do what he says to see him as king, when he says repent and believe, that is a royal phrase to bow down and recognize that someone is under your authority, that you are under someone else's authority. That when Jesus teaches, his primary teaching was about the kingdom of God, not about just making your life more cuddly. When he says, hey, when you pray, you should pray for this, your kingdom come, your will be done, because you're the king, and then when he says, hey, stop worrying about all of life, God will take care of you, what you should be worrying about is this, seek first the kingdom of God. See, it's interesting, isn't it, that we can go, oh, Jesus is my guide, he's my God, he's my friend, he's my savior, he's my helper, he's my protector, and yet the core message that Jesus actually teaches is I'm your king. And we go, going, yeah, let's, let's not talk about that too much. And that's why, of course, in the American church, when it comes to the ethics of Jesus, there seems to be a lot of individual autonomy that we can do what we want to do. Because without Jesus as king, when he actually says hey you should live this way where we agree with it when it feels right we go Jesus you're my king I'm gonna do whatever you want bro when we don't agree with him when he says look this is the way to live this is how you live with your money your body your power your time this is this is what it means to come under my ruleship with these things and when it doesn't feel right because our feelings are autonomous and authoritative we go oh Jesus I mean I, I really I really take on board what you're saying But I just don't feel that's right for me. And therefore, Jesus, my following you is no longer about obedience, it's about agreement. Where I agree with you, I'll follow you. Where I don't agree with you, I won't. Ultimately, many of us in the American church therefore treat Jesus as what is called a puppet king. That We have a king to help us where we want him to help us, but when it comes to authority, we're still in charge. This is the challenge of Palm Sunday. And of course, the challenge is not meant to drive us into despair. The challenge is to invite us into life as we were meant to live it. The invitation is for the king to come back to heal the world and bring us into all that we long, but that is not gonna come through exerting our own authority, but coming under his. There's not many examples in our life, is there, where we go, coming under someone else's authority brings life, and yet there are glimpses of it. I remember when I was working in London I kept seeing that every month, a lot of my colleagues go out and have a day off work, it seemed, because they all went on these client golf days. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I need to learn to play golf. And I grew up in quite a poor community in the north of England, so golf wasn't even on the radar. Golf was kind of like becoming an astronaut. It was just like, ugh. That's not in my world. And so here I am in, in this company going, I just don't know how to play golf. And yet all these people are going to play golf and didn't know even how to hold a golf club, you know? And I never even watched it on TV. I remember one day my boss came in and went, "Gare, yeah, we'd love to invite you on a client trip. And oh, brilliant. He said, we're, we're flying, we're gonna charter a plane. We're gonna uh, fly down to the south of France. We've hired a French castle and uh, we'd love you to come. And I was good with clients, apparently, so that's why I wanted to come. And we're gonna eat at these amazing amazing michelin star restaurants down there. And it's gonna be like a four or five day trip. It's gonna be pretty epic. We'd love you to come. Um, And of course, yeah, it's a golf trip, right? So we'll be playing golf throughout the week. Um, You can play golf, right, Guy? I went, of course I can. (laughs) Sure panic inside, I'm not missing Michelin star French Chateau restaurants for this little game called golf. And I remember, so he said, so it's in a couple of weeks. I went, no problem. And, and so I thought, panic set in, I, thought, I need to learn to play golf. And so the only golf club I knew was next to my parents' house, a bit two hours north of London where they lived. And the only reason I knew there was a golf club, there was a sign just down the road from their house saying golf club this way. So I went down that road trying to find this golf club and I walked in kind of like this, jeans and just like a, uh, some sneakers and a t-shirt. And I just walked in the golf shop. I didn't know what it was called, I, whatever it's called at the time, I walked in and they went, hey, can we help you? I, I went, yes you need to teach me to play golf today. And they went, sorry? I said, you need to, you need to teach me to play golf today. And they was like, who are you? And I, I said, look, I can pay. And I got out lots of money and put it on the counter. I said, can you teach me to play golf today? I'm going on a trip to the south of France in a couple of weeks. And i then just going, who are you? How dare you disrespect the game of golf like this? And so this poor, lovely, wonderful old man who was the golf pro there said, look, okay. I told him this story. He went, you're crazy. I went, that's okay. And teach you to play golf. He went, well, take more than a day. He said, look, take me. I said, I've only got, it's Friday night. It's like Friday afternoon. I've got till Sunday afternoon. Then I'm going back to London. Great. All right. You're here the whole weekend. And I will teach you to play golf. I went, great. And so he said, here's one rule. Here's one rule. You have to do exactly what I say. I go, what do you mean? He says, trust me, you have no idea what you're doing. Any idea that you have is going to be wrong. You, you, you don't know how to hold the club. You won't know how to swing the club. You won't know which club to hit. You might think you know, but trust me, you don't. And so I went down to the range and he started. you know, I got got the club, kind of, (laughs) went, no! Don't bring your own ideas! So I put it down here and over the next 48 hours I did exactly what he said. Every time I said, what what about this? That, That doesn't feel right. He said, trust me. But this kind of feels awkward. Trust me. And after 48 hours, I resembled a very bad beginning golfer, but here's the thing, he said, if for this to work, for you to enjoy golf, for you to actually learn how to use these clubs, for this to go well with you and the people you're playing with, for you not to hurt others, for you to actually discover the joy of this game, you do what I say. Jesus, comes to each of us riding on a donkey announcing he's king going have you finally come to the end of trying to live life your own way will you trust me will you give your life to me will you surrender finally and discover through my ways through relationship with me through my commands even that this way of life is how life was meant to be That maybe doing it your own way is why you're feeling so empty, is why this club isn't working for you, is why when you play, you can't play nicely with others, is why you keep hurting each other, will you actually surrender and come under my rule, my loving rule, my gracious rule? I'm the king who wants to bring you life and life to the full. This is the invitation of King Jesus. The challenge of course is whether we will surrender or whether we will keep saying, Jesus, I think I got it. Thanks, yeah, no, thanks but I'm gonna hold the club this way. Tim Keller writes, he said, as a child blossoms under the authority of a wise and good parent, as a team flourishes under the direction of a skillful, brilliant coach, so when you come under the healing of the royal hands, under the kingship of Jesus, everything in your life will begin to heal. And when he comes back, everything sad will come untrue, and his return will usher in the end of fear, suffering, and death. This is King Jesus. Jesus put it this way in his great royal decree, his great royal speech of this is how life was meant to be lived, was called the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, he issues decrees and commands, do not do this. Do not do this. Do this. He's issuing, this is how life is to work. And at the very end, he doesn't say, blessed are those who have a go at these things or blessed are those who hear these suggestions and maybe think some of them may be okay. This is how he ends his great royal decree. In Matthew 7 he says, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Because it had the foundation on the rock but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice in other words you're treating me as a consultant you're treating me as a coach you're treating me as some kind of guide but not your king This is like a foolish man who built his house on sand the rain came down the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash And when Jesus had finished these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because, listen to this, he taught as one who had authority and not as other teachers of the law. Palm Sunday is the great, beautiful, challenging invitation to return to King Jesus and to start to see your life be put together again. This is actually why for the next week, Jesus was wildly underwhelming to the disciples because Jesus went to battle against the real enemies of humanity, whereas they wanted him to battle Rome. You see, Jesus wants to heal the world and bring life back together again. To do so, he he wasn't very interested in battling Rome. That his battleground was not Pilate's palace, but Calvary's cross. For him, the real issue was how do I restore humanity? How do I heal humanity? How do I deliver them from the great evils of sin and Satan and death? Well, I'm not gonna who cares about Rome? If I defeat Rome, there'll always be another Rome. So he got on that donkey and rode to Jerusalem knowing he would never leave again because his battleground was the cross. He was going to be enthroned not on a Roman throne but lifted high on a sinner's cross because it was there our great king would win the battles that we can't. That would be the king's victory carrying his own cross out of obedience to his father and out of of joy for you and for me. I'm going to hang myself on that cross that I may go to battle and win what you can't. Cure the disease of sin in all of us that prevents us from being the people we long to be. Cure the oppression of spiritual forces that seem to plague us and overcome the death that will inevitably face us. Jesus rode into Jerusalem, our king. And as we celebrate Good Friday, we see our king go to battle against the great enemies of humanity. As we approach Easter Sunday, we see our king victorious over the great enemies of humanity. That death could not hold him, sin could not defeat him, and Satan has been crushed. And as we then work into Easter Monday, the invitation is to come under the great rule and victory of King Jesus, that we can now taste of his victory and begin to see his life flow out, flow in, flow through our lives to this world around us. Palm Sunday, our King arrives. And the question is, will we follow Him? Follow Him to the cross, that we die to our own authority and surrender it to Him, that we might, might rise in His victory and be born again to the life that He has for you and for me. Let's stand together. I'd love you just to close your eyes. Our worship team comes up. And this may be a sobering moment. It was for Pilate. Where, in our following of Jesus, have we surrendered to him as king? Are we tired? of trying to do it our own way. But is it time to carry the cross ourselves and say, Jesus, I'm dying to myself and I give you the authority. I trust you with that. So Jesus, as we do that together now, we we trust you with the things that we hold dear. And just in your own heart now, ask Holy Spirit, what am I not surrendering to Jesus? Thinking that if I hold on to it, it will be better actually if I hold on to it than Jesus. And in those areas, Jesus, we, we unclench our fists and say, Jesus, I surrender this to you. My King, my loving King. I trust you with this. Doesn't mean it's gonna always go well. Doesn't mean it's gonna be exactly how I thought it was gonna be. But I trust you that you are the one who brings life. And I'm not equipped to be the king of my own life. Just had a sense from God, the word marriage. uh, Surrendering in challenges in marriage, just surrendering that to Jesus. Jesus, let your kingdom come, your will be done. That as you let the king into your own heart to transform you, to heal you, maybe to convict you, that will spill out into health in your marriage but it's to come under his rule. Our prayer team were praying earlier and there were some words that they felt might be from God. Three names, Pete, Michelle, and Jess. We'd love to pray for you. And then someone with an injury and pain in their neck and a shoulder area from an accident. So our prayer team are gonna come up If you're on the prayer team, I'd love you to come up and be in the front here now. And then we're going to worship. And let this be a time to once again, joyfully surrender to King Jesus. And worship him. Let's worship together. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.